Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. Good evening, guests and residents and activists. Welcome to River Radio. I'm still on my nursing programme, sorry. You're listening to Politically Correct on River Radio with Wisdom Da Costa. It's Wednesday the 4th of August. And today I have a guest presenter joining me, Mr Lars Swan. Okay, and today what we're going to be talking about is a host of really interesting things with some phenomenal and astounding guests, I have to say. Lars, welcome to the show. Welcome, and thank you, Wisdom. Okay, no problem. So, it's great to have you on the show. Um, Let's see how you enjoy the show, and um, I'm looking forward to hearing the comments and everything you have to say. Lars, I love Canada, and I know you're a big traveller. Do you love Canada as well? I was... um I, I hope my wife's not listening to this. My first wife was Canadian. Okay. I lived in um, I, Oops. Li- I lived in um, Cambridge, Ontario, which is just up the um, the four hundred one, which is the, the main highway from Toronto between Toronto and yep. um, and Cambridge. Yeah. So between Hamilton, so I lived there for a while. My first wife and um, keep saying that. I'd stop. stop I know. That now. I should stop that now. I shouldn't really. Stop shouldn't it, I? <laughs> um, Yeah. So I know Canada quite well. Okay, fantastic. Now, I love Canada. I'm a massive fan of Canada, in particular the, the Calgary Stampede. We go there really regularly. So my relatives got lots of relatives over in Calgary and Vancouver and some in Toronto. I was really captured and caught by a story on the news recently where a number of Canadians were boycotting Canada Day. And I was thinking, why would you boycott Canada Day? And then I read the story even further. And it talked about the reason they were boycotting Canada Day was that many of them were, were um, First Nation Canadians. So we would have commonly called them Indians in the past, Red Indians, which is the wrong moniker. So First Nation Canadians. And they were upset because recently a, a number of graves, 751 graves were found at a residential school over in, in, um, in Saskatoon, I believe. And so they were really unhappy about this. So we're going to be talking about these these residential schools, the impact of them, and digging deeper to find out whether there's a bigger story going on here. It all sounds quite serious, but um, as ever, listeners, we're going to be entertaining, informing, and empowering you, making sure that you can do. Right, I'm going to introduce our guests. So first, I'm going to go to uh, Tony Perry. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome to the show. So, Tony, tell me a little bit about yourself while I hook up all the other guests we've got. And we have an astounding range of guests. Absolutely. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, again, I'm Tony Perry. I am uh, a I'm Native American. I'm a citizen of the Chickasaw Nation, but also live in Maidenhead uh, and have been here for about 20 years. Tony, we've known each other for a while, haven't we? We have indeed. Yeah, and you were the first person I reached out to when we um, started talking uh, about these stories. That's right, absolutely. And, and Tony, you're not just a, uh, a somebody who works in the NHS, you're also uh, an author, are you not? That's right. Uh, I have written a historical fiction book uh, about a Native American um, a Native American boy in my tribe, the Chickasaw Nation, from set about 300 years ago, just trying to help bring history to life uh, in a way that's really not been, not been often done before. 
and I've done further work on history <clears throat> in terms of um, in terms of my nation. Uh, for example, I found that there was a Chickasaw chief, and actually a group of them had come over to England uh, and had actually fought in the Jacobite rebellion. So basically, fighting. Wow, that's real history. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so it's just been something for me. I've I've learned uh, th throughout my time here. I've, in fact, it's, it's been amazing that being over in England, I've, I've found myself more connected to my roots at home. There are things you just take for granted, I think, when it's all around you. Yeah. Uh, and then when you move away and become a, a, an immigrant and trying to settle into a new world, you start learning a bit more about your own. And so that's what began a lot of my journey, just trying to understand a bit more about uh, my roots, my past and why my, you know, our culture is what it is, and then trying to be able to pass that down to my children as well. So, okay. Okay. so trying to develop of love yep. there, here and there. Right. I want to introduce everyone now to Leandra Neffin. Leandra, welcome to the show. Hi. Wangi de Wibdaha. Umaha wa ubadi, umaha ijaje wiwitate, ambadagadi, wache ijaje wiwitate, Leandra, estashende wa ubadi. So I want to thank everybody um, who is taking the time to listen today and for providing the space to speak and, and share our stories. Um, I'm an Omaha woman. I'm enrolled with the Omaha tribe of Nebraska, um, which is located in the northeast corner of Nebraska in the United States. I grew up on the Omaha Indian Reservation there. My Omaha name is Ambadagdi, which means coming of a beautiful day. And I'm a ThunderClan woman and I belong to the Sky people. So I grew up on the Omaha Indian Reservation for the majority of my life, but I've been living here in Britain now for the last 13 years. Leandra, just really briefly, by the way, thank you for introducing us to your, to your language. Which tribe is that language from? Pardon my ignorance. Yeah, that's the Omaha language um, that I was speaking, but it's also uh, the same as the Ponca language as well. So I belong to, to the Ponca uh, nation uh, through lineal descent as well. Great. And you, I understand you're a bit of an international speaker talking about indigenous human rights with a particular focus on missing and murdered indigenous people. It's, right. Tell us a little bit more about what you do in that sphere. Uh, yeah, so I do a lot of public speaking, um, particularly around um, intergenerational trauma, uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, which is um, a genocide that's happening in North America, um, you know, and South America. This is, you know, something that impacts Indigenous women globally. Um, but this is really in America, um, sort of a the big open kind of wound for America because there are women are going missing at um, incredibly high rates. They end up missing or murdered. They're being targeted. There are policies, legislative policies that are um, targeted towards violence against our women okay. and men. So a lot of our indigenous populations are disappearing or ending up murdered. Right. And closer to home here in the UK, you studied at the University of Oxford and, and you have a MSc in Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. What do you do here in the UK? Uh, yeah, so I'm getting ready to start the MSc in October at University of October, uh, uh, Oxford. Um, but besides that, I am a, um, a cognitive behavioral therapist for the NHS. So I work um, particularly my past has been with uh, survivors of sexual violence. So trauma focused CBT. Wow, it's quite heavy work, but obviously very, very necessary. Yes, absolutely. Great. And I'm going to introduce everyone to uh, Rhonda Levaldo. Rhonda's enjoying... Um, dialing in from Kansas, is that right, Rhonda? Yes. Tell us more about yourself, uh, Rhonda. Hello, uh, my name is Rhonda Lovaldo. I'm Acoma Pueblo from Acoma, New Mexico. 
I'm currently uh, living in Lawrence, Kansas. I am a media instructor at Haskell Indian Nations University, which is a former boarding residential school. Um, and it's kind of done like a 100% turnaround to where we empower our students to be um, you know, understanding of, of where they come from, um, where it used to be to assimilate Native people to become good white Americans. Now we're kind of making sure our students understand where they come from and, and teaching them about where they're from. And, and a lot of times, which, you know, which is a problem that this assimilation process did work. Um, most of our students don't know where, you know, their, their tribal traditions or anything. So we're going back and teaching those things. And so okay. um, that's what I do. And I also run a um, group called Not In Our Honor, which we are trying to get the Kansas City uh, football team to change their name. And can I just step in there? Actually, uh, I shouldn't say this, but I'm actually a big fan of the Kansas City Chiefs or Patrick Mahomes, I should say. But And they are very, very six. Who doesn't, if you don't know what American football is about, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if I can say that. They've also won the Super Bowl fairly recently, so they are a big and high-profile name. But they're one that continue to use Native American imagery as part of their um, cultural, or not culture, but certainly their, their um, PR and their branding. their branding. Yes, thanks, Tony, for stepping in there. Rhonda, what else? you also are a board member for the Directors of Indian County Countries. Um, yes, I, um, I am a board member for uh, Indian Country Today, which is... Um, one of the bigger uh, media groups uh, for Native Americans. Um, and so uh, do we, I do freelance journalism as well. So um, just, you know, working with that and getting our information out, news and stuff across Indian country out to uh, a bigger group of people so they're understanding Native people across the country. Great. And finally, we've got Nicholas Hewlett. Nicholas, I don't know anything about you, so tell us about you. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I'm always a bit of a mystery, just in, in general. So I kind of like it. Um, yeah, uh, Nicholas Hewlett, um, descending from the Wampanoag tribe. Um, I'm actually I'm a born and raised second generation British. My my grandmother is Latin Caribbean, and my, my grandfather's native. Um, my father, he's he's here, he's white British. Um, yeah, I, I I'm a I'm a, mu- I'm a musician and a and a composer by trade, but I also I also trained as a dancer. I went I studied dance at a conservatoire for three years, and I that kind of led me into a whole avenue of different things. But mostly and predominantly, I I manage a company called Indigenous Enterprise. I represent them here in the UK when they when they do well, well pretty much. Whenever they, they do tours in Europe or whenever they're going to do tours in Europe, I'm, I'm the one that manages them and, and facilitates and produces and does all the funding applications and all of that, all of the boring stuff. Um, okay. the, the company is, is comprised of, of all dances. They're all powwow, traditional champion dances. Um, but we also we also do films as well. I, my boss, my, my bro, um, Kenneth Shirley, he also um, studied and trained as a as a videographer, filmographer, director. Okay. And so we do like documentaries and stuff, and we also do merchandise. Okay, brilliant. Nicholas, I really want to sort of chat to you a bit more, but we'll come back to that later on, or perhaps even another show as well. So this is our panel. We've got last one. There's myself, there's um, Rhonda Lavaldo, Leandro Neffin, 
and Nicholas Hewlett. So guys, welcome. Now, this story, which has um, appeared recently, and it's only recently on my consciousness here in the UK, is about the Mary Evelyn Indian Residential Society, it's a school story, which was operated by the Roman Catholic Church from the 1899 to 1980s, although I do understand that other residential schools were operated even until the 1990s. And at that point, the First Nations took over the operations. It's now, I understand, one of 130 compulsory boarding schools funded by the Canadian government and run by religious authorities during the 19th and 20th centuries with the idea of assimilating indigenous youth. Now, it was quite shocking to me that they found 751 unmarked graves in one school. That's just beyond belief. And some of the stories, which I think many people in Ireland and anybody, any, any person in the UK who's gone to a, uh, if you like, a home, call it a home, call it um, somewhere for you, them young people to stay when parents break up, so to speak, they will understand the abuse that often suffer, is pursuant to that. So this is a common problem, a common issue, a common feeling and a common experience, not just for Native Americans, but for everybody around the world. But we really want to focus on the terrible atrocities here. Um, so, guys... Yeah, please put your hand up when you want to, to speak. Um, how many schools were there in America? Or was it not America, in Canada? Dr. Ronda. Sorry, I still call you Dr. Ronda. You'll always be Dr. Ronda to me. Um, so there's um, many schools in Canada, and actually um, there's actually more residential schools in the United States, um, and they started doing an uh, investigation into into what they could possibly find here. Uh, for my school, where I work at Haskell, we actually have our own cemetery. And so, you know, you think about universities, like how many universities have their own cemetery, you know, and, and um, the atrocities that happen in Canada. Um, you know, it's, it's devastating to hear uh, people talk about it and, and survivor accounts, people who survived those residential school systems I don't think for us that it is impossible that this has happened because we've heard those stories and it's, it's very tragic and traumatic. Um, these things affected our people and, and it's been passed down um, in the you know, historical trauma uh, that we all face. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that impacts us as a people um, in the form of these stereotypes and it, it's all a circle. With, with the situations of that and, um, you know, the tomahawk chop and, and, and what Kent City's doing, those things are all a circle. Missing and murdered Indigenous women. Yeah. These things are all, you know, related. And I think when we talk about Native stereotypes, everyone's always like, well, can't you guys, you know, deal with something that's a bigger issue? No, because they're all related. And they all impact us the same way. So okay. when you talk about this residential school system and the impact of uh, um, how many people it killed, um, people that were abused, you know, sexually abused, uh, physically abused, emotionally abused, these things all impact us in certain ways. And, I, you know, it, it's, it's hard to talk about because I, okay. yeah, I, can, I think I can about imagine. people... Yeah, I think about the people who who were hurt from this and had to deal with it. I've heard people talk about um, hearing people being abused and not being able to do anything about it. 
And that, uh, to me, I'm like, I, I could not imagine being a child and, and having to deal with that. Tony, I was just going to add, and that's something that goes beyond people that attended the schools. When, they, when they've graduated, they've completed their studies, or they became parents. And so their experience of being, uh, in being in the school affects how they parent their children and the relationships that they have in their families. This is something where in my own family we've seen this. Um, I've had grandparents that were in residential schools in Shiloko, which is not terribly far from, uh, from Haskell where Rhonda is. Um, and, and they have long-standing uh, effects. It goes beyond just the children. So just even closing the schools, there are bigger issues. It takes generations to be able to almost relearn or reconnect uh, from the damage that the schools were trying to inflict. Can I ask, I mean, was this just Canada or was it also America, as, as you seem to indicate there? It was the United States as well as Canada, absolutely. It was a part of an attempt to, quote, civilise us uh, as Native peoples. So this is very much as part of a wider plan to, um, I, I guess, assimilate or, quote, civilise us from our, quote, savage ways uh, to become more like European Americans. That was the, the very conscious and explicit goal. Okay, so it sounds as if these we're talking about thousands of children who Absolutely. have died, just died, just thousands of children who have died in unmarked graves and probably tens of thousands of Native Americans. And that must be so hard for you to sort of think about and even to hear me saying tens of thousands of Native American children have been abused, physically abused, sexually abused, um, culturally traumatised and um, almost had their, their, their whole if you like, um, part of their psyche, just eliminated. Or, or, yeah. Okay, so I have to ask the question then, how does that make you feel? Leandra? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it obviously impacts us because it's the ripple effect, isn't it, um, of this trauma being handed down through generations. When we think about... Um, comparing kind of Canada to U.S., there are very different responses to the boarding school era. You know, Canada um, created the Truth and Reconciliation Act to kind of help unlock and organize government and church records of the Indian boarding schools and the children's that the children that attended. Whereas U.S. has been markedly silent on this up until recently, um, with the first Indigenous Interior Secretary, Deb Holland, who has commissioned um, the boarding school, Indian Boarding School Truth Initiative. But with the Truth and um, Reconciliation um, Act that is enacted in Canada, they actually reported um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that they operated 139 federal schools um, with more than 150,000 Indigenous children that were attending between the 1870s and 1997. So this isn't, you know, ancient history. This is this is recent history. Um, and a lot of these schools were, as you mentioned previously, um, run by mainly the Catholic Church. Um, Catholic and uh, churches operated about 100 schools, so they made up the majority of the Christian schools that were around. So for me, when I think about how this makes me feel, um, I grew up on the reservation. I saw a lot of poverty. I saw a lot of health disparities. I saw um, drug addiction, sexual abuse, physical physical violence. These are the ripple effects that continue to be passed down through that intergenerational trauma because these are people who were taken away from their families. They were raised on education for extinction. 
You know, this is part of the land dispossession policy to um, extract resources from the, and I say this in quotations, new world, you know, in, in, and they justified this um, as their godly right for westward expansion. And so the whole, um, how it makes me feel is that we're still living it. We're still living the genocide we're still living the effects and the impact of how this you know, colonial legacy has created, um, you know, violence and continues to create violence even through our legislative policies. So, um, you know, for me, I do uh, a lot of education work around these issues because I think the first step in, in addressing these issues for me and doing my part so that my children don't have to um, continue to live with the impact of that generational trauma is education you know we need to understand this history and uh, particularly in britain we need to understand that colonial legacy and how that impacted indigenous populations okay let me go back to Rhonda. nicholas i'll come back to you come to you in just a second um for leandra and nicholas tony and myself and lars and ourselves we're, we're living here in the uk where things are slightly different and it's probably i don't know is it harder being in america in the what's called the usa now because that was your land and you're still there. Uh, how, is that a harder situation to face? Is it more oppressive, do you feel, for you as you come around the world and get, get the taste of what's happening around the world to, to um, come to terms with these traumatic facts? I think, you know, with the um, Black Lives Matter movement that, you know, our issues are finally being seen and heard about. And I think, you know, our, People are talking about these things in this course with uh, with Canada's um, residential school system, uh, finding all these unmarked graves. You know, the stories that have been told numerous times that even where, where I teach at school, uh, students would run away and would never be heard from again. And we always said, there's bodies. There's bodies out there. We have a wetland south of our campus. There's bodies out there. And nobody believed us. And now, finally because of what's going on, people are paying attention to that. And it's not just us, there's other schools across the country um, that have to deal with this. We have um, you know, students that are being sent away to boarding schools still, uh, K through 12. And there's, there is physical and emotional trauma. So and don't... I know there's students who have died in those schools. Um, they have their own little jails. Like we have our own museum here we have little tiny handcuffs that wow. they would put on the kids because if they did something they felt was bad, they're speaking their own language or trying to, you know, remember who they are. And the fact that, you know, you have people like uh, Kansas City Chiefs doing the tomahawk chop. Okay, it's okay for them to be Indian, but it wasn't okay for us to be Indian. Well, you're absolutely right there. Yeah, that really puts it into stark contrast. Leandra. Um, yeah, it's still not okay for us to be Indian. <laughs> it's still dangerous. We are a population that is still being targeted because we represent less than 2% of the population in the U.S., yet we have the highest rate of violence, sexual violence, poverty, homelessness, incarceration than any other demographic. So that in itself is telling in terms of our um, the violence that continues to be perp perpetrated against us. Um, you know, my grandmother died at a Genoa Indian School. I um, had a speaking engagement in Carlisle because I had um, 
I spoke on four stories of, of um, on both sides of my parents. I had two um, great grandparents, great, great grandparents who attended Carlisle. And those two story, uh, those four stories had different outcomes. You know, on my mother's side, they ran away from boarding school. On the other side, they completely um, embraced it, you know, because it was part of that assimilationist policy, survivance. How do we survive when we're being, um, you know, when there's genocide being uh, perpetrated against us? That sounds insane that not only have you got layer upon layer of historic abuse where your land has been taken away your livelihood your nature has been taken away you've been shifted into small reservations you've then suffered a lot of um physical and other trauma i mean out of i don't know but what is the role of a child in in an in a native american or in a first nation family how important are children to to the way you do life um, I think for me, um, with everything that we do, we always think seven generations ahead. Um, and so we make sure that we do things in a way that is uh, creating sustainability for the future generations. So that as our children walk backwards, looking, walk back, uh, backwards into the future. So almost kind of walking backwards, looking at us and then with the work that we put in and the structures and the systems that we have put into place, learning from our elders in our community, you know, it's always with the intention of how can we help the future, the future of our children? What can we do to make a better world for our future children, grandchildren, our descendants? Um, and so children had a very um, privileged place in our system. They were sacred. You know, they were sacred amongst our people and, and held, um, you know, responsibilities and roles right along with the uh, adults and learn from. So it from sounds as if what we did, when I say we, because I count myself as British, what we did when we came into Canada is actually take the jewel in your crown, the thing that was the most important to you and cut it off from you. And the United States as well, by the and way. The United States, yeah. yes. And the trauma of that must be just unspeakable, really. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the question about children because I, I'm, I'm a father of two young children at the moment, so it's something that's quite live for me. Um, and what I would add to that is that I mean, certainly for me and I guess for my tribal culture, it's about, you know, they're the ones who will continue our story. We've, in our past generations, we've had people that have fought to be able to pass on their, their stories and their language and, and, and foods. And, and that have been have faced so much pressure over the over the well, past centuries, really. Uh, but it's now our future generations who are going to be able to carry that. So I make a point of trying to expose my children to our language. We've got language apps, for example, uh, that they can learn that from here. We've got uh, another other cultural traditions. We've got a game called Toli, uh, which is like stickball or almost like lacrosse that you know, a lot of people would have come come across. So trying to teach them a little bit about that and learn myself so that they have a connection even from afar uh, they will feel Chickasaw as well so that when they do come back home they have a connection to their to their homeland so they will ultimately be able to be a part of that community going forward so it's children who will tell the story and live uh, and be us going forward they're leading the way in the end okay it sounds as if you look upon life not in terms of individuals, but really as a body in a community where future generations are equally, who haven't been born, are equally part of your identity as now. Wow. Listen, we're going to take a quick break now. We're going to sort of play Why by Superman. Rhonda, you chose this track. Can you tell us um, more about the track and uh, why, why, why you chose it? 
Um, well, a uh, you know, he's a he's a great uh, musician, I think, and he's so um, I don't know. He he makes his own beats and everything, and he uses like jingle dress uh, cones to make sounds, and and uh, he works well with children. Like he he'll go and do these workshops with the um, with the kids, and 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 really inspire them. And I think he's just a very inspirational person. Um, yeah, I, I I really enjoy his music, and I just think he's um, I don't know, just awesome. <laughs> Great, welcome, enjoy, guys. Mm-hmm. 
There we go, Superman by Why. Was it Why by Superman? That's a fantastic track. I absolutely love that. Thank you very much, Rhonda, for introducing us to Superman. And I think someone else is trying to bust in on the act there, and I think that is Savage Family, but we will hold Savage Family for just a moment. If you're joining us, you're listening to Wisdom to Costa and Last One on Politically Correct on River Radio. And today we've been talking about the really serious but issue, but an issue that affects us all in its principles whether you're young you're old whether you're from ireland the uk whether you've been in a home whether you're native american or first nation whether you're black whether you're white this affects you so we've been talking about cultural appropriation we're talking about the impact of colonialism on native americans in canada and in the u.s and we've been joined today my last one tony perry london ronda levelder um leander neffin and of course nicholas hewlett Guys, that's been a really heavy first start to the programme. And now I can't imagine how you guys process this. Nicholas, let, let's go to you and say you, you've lived in the UK. You, are, you, you represent a number of different races. Listening to all of that, how does, how does that affect you? How does living in the UK, how does your identity and the traumas of, that um, your generations, previous generations on a number of different sides of your ethnicity have, have affected you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's always really, I feel like, especially with, in, in particular, like my generation of work, cause I'm, I'm, I'm only 28. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of a generation that is really kind of starting to push a lot of, of different boundaries and, you know, we're creating like terminology to better understand our experiences as a people, right. You know, the whole gaslighting thing, the microaggressions and, stuff like that we're really starting to put like words to things that really um not only were, were quite invisible but were often um associated with, with mostly with like victim blaming and, and you know we're really starting to come into that into that space and really starting to try to empower people in particular like, you know we, we really want to not just empower our own generation and the generations um Afterwards, but also the generations before us, right? You know, I've had so many conversations with my with my elders, and I'm like, you, you do know that you're being gaslighted, right? And they're like, what's gaslighting? Can gaslighting? you explain, explain that? Yeah, it. explain that to us. When you say you're being gaslighted, tell us more about that. So, gaslighting, I think a good example is like, when let's say you've been through a really traumatic experience, and you're not quite sure what happened, and so you explain to somebody the situation and that person then tries to make you feel like it didn't happen or that it was just in your head or that you're crazy for thinking that way or they they maybe try to shift the blame onto you and say oh maybe you were doing this wrong world so on so on such and such and that's that's effectively what gaslighting is. can you give us an example of um the gaslighting that you have faced as in terms ethnic ethnically and culturally yeah um i mean you know i grew up in in Moss side in, in manchester um, so I grew up in a really rough area and um, unfortunately a lot of my family members uh, were affiliated um, and because of that a, a lot of my family life was was constantly a threat. And so when you say affiliated, I, do you mean gang members? Gang, gang affiliated, yeah. You, you're going to have to explain that, it to us guys here, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, gang affiliated. So yeah, a lot of my family were gang members. Who, who, a lot of them have passed away or in jail. And I, you know, actually, in, in one experience, I was gaslighted myself, and then I was experiencing this secondhand gaslighting as well because the person that was doing it was also gaslighting themselves as well. Um, 
and, and 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 what it boiled down to was effectively we were talking about being stopped by the police, um, and I was with a friend of mine who actually we were we were going from from school one day and and on the way home and and these two police officers on, on pulled us up and they stopped us and they said and they said to me they said hey can I can I search you please have you got anything on you. Um, and I was like, man, no, of course I don't. And this was at the time when they were giving out those yellow paper slips. I don't know if you remember where you where you would fill them out and you could send them to the police station. But of course, no one was going to do that. And ne- next to me, the person that I was with, he actually was carrying drugs, concealed drugs, in in, in his belt, and they didn't even ask him. And he was looking at me the whole time, smiling. He was white. Mm. Um, they did. They didn't ask him at all, and so I, I told somebody about this experience, and um, they came from a similar background as me, and they said, "Well, bro, like maybe you were just looking, looking a certain kind of way, like you were putting out that energy that 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 made them think that maybe you were up to no good or something." Okay. And that's like a perfect example of gaslighting, and of course that wasn't the case at all, and I don't even know how you how you quantify that like level of like like. Energy expression, like yep. what does that look like? How does Nicholas, somebody look so, like they deserve to be? So stopped? people can understand. Can you describe you, yourself and your features as to which might give them an idea of perhaps why you were picked on? Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 pretty ethnically ambiguous anyway, but I mean, <laughs> I've got brown skin, and you know my you know my hair is 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 a little bit ambiguous as well. It's quite wavy. I got yeah, my features. They they don't look like they're white at all, even though my father is. Okay, all right. And thanks for sharing that. So when we move on to the issues of, of cultural appropriation, you talked about microaggressions and you giving language, a language or words to something which exists so that we can then, once we've got the words, we can then start to deal with it. I want to go back to the, the Tomahawk Chop and the Kansas City Chiefs and also the Exeter Chiefs who actually use the headdress of some sort. Why is that offensive? Tony? It's there's a lot where to start, really. Uh, I think the first part of it is, is it's a caricature of, of, of native peoples. It's an idea that, pe- that non-natives have in terms of what a native should be, what they should look like. I've grown up around this, and I just took it for granted. I went to, in, in the United States, uh, our primary schools, secondary schools have mascots right uh which we don't really have in the uk so i went to a school that was called the indians uh and and that's that's what they were known as and you know you have a big logo of a head with a headdress well i'm i'm chickasaw it's not something in my tribal tradition these are actually uh these are part traditions of people in in what are what is today the american midwest so it's not something that i quite connect to or or teepees or things like this but these were stereotypes that non-natives had just taken on and said okay well this is what indians are and this is what indians should be like you know we we need to have our respect and this is what we're going to do so it was something i kind of just took for granted but it also did have an effect on me personally because i couldn't connect with that uh and so i couldn't quite connect in terms of like my own uh, self as a native uh, mm. in the u.s it took me being moving out of the u.s and being an immigrant and being able to look back and then all the things that came you know, all the family stories and and the genealogy and things that that come in terms of you, you know your identity and family conversations it all became a lot more real for me uh, in my in my case my father died uh, very suddenly unexpectedly uh, and it was through him that my chickasaw roots have come 
and I just started to ask the questions. Okay. Uh, so w- would it be fair to say that you regard the tomahawk chop and the um, headdress as a racial slur? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Would you go some? Would you walk down the street? Would you go to a sta- uh, to a stadium in blackface, or maybe wearing you know wearing an afro and blackface and all sorts of things? I, I guess trying You'd to be, be arrested. You'd be arrested. Why wouldn't you if you were wearing a headdress or wearing face paint? The Exeter Chiefs and I imagine the Kansas City Chiefs as well will go. You look on their website; they actually sell face paint or war paint. They sell it. You can go buy it and be an Indian for the day. Yep. You can do your tomahawk chops. All of that's fine. So Native Americans end up being the, the minority group where you can kind of vent your sort of racial, I guess, superiority mm-hmm. of sorts. Ra- you know, kind of vent those things that, that, that good, polite society says we can't do anymore. But you can with Native Americans. Okay. So, so what are the boundaries, guys? I mean, where, where do we cross into a racial slur with cultural appropriation? And where is it um, actually acceptable? Where, where would you, what would you say is not acceptable? It's never acceptable. No, I'm sorry. I'm don't, go for it, it's, Nicholas. It's, 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 it's never acceptable. At the end of the day, no one on, on this planet that I know of is okay with being impersonated in a way that's not positive. No one. Nobody likes to be unfairly or unjustly impersonated. Nobody likes to be characterized in a way that isn't true to who you are. And when people try to, try to, to, to make assumptions about you when they don't really know you, it's the worst feeling ever, ever. Like nobody likes that, you know. Let's say that's that is that is a form of microaggression. In fact, that's a blatant aggression as well. well it's just toxic. Yeah, it's not just micro, is it? Yeah. And I think the worst yeah. part of it for me is when. Is, is when you're basically told, you're basically trying to make a point. You're saying, look, this is actually not helpful. This is actually offensive. Here are reasons why. And then you're told, no, we're honoring you. This is respectful. You're just too sensitive. Get on with the respect that we've got. That's when it's, you're pretty clearly crossing a line. Uh, and this is something that we see particularly with the mascot issue. And a lot of people will say, well, wait, there are so many different bigger issues going on. Uh, and, and Dr. Lovaldo can go into this a lot more depth than I. But, uh, you, you know, there are far bigger issues. Issues, you know, with missing and murdered Indigenous women or poverty rates uh, that, that also Leandra touched on too, and so why bother with a mascot? But it, it all it all comes back to that. How think, can you help us if you're treating us as someone you don't? You, they don't even know anything about Native peoples. The fact that we are our cultures are as diverse as Europeans. I mean, it sounds if do, I mean, doc, sorry, I'm sorry, Doctor Ronda. I keep calling you Doctor Ronda. I think you said it before that all of these issues are all one big mix. It's all in one big melting pot. And so if you touch on one, you touch on them all. But, but can I just sort of push, the, and Nicholas, you, you, you expressed it very beautifully that it's about inappropriate impersonation of, of you and who you are. Where do we draw the line? Is, what else is unacceptable? So we've got the tomahawk chop. We've got, what about totem poles and teepees? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to understand where do we go on this? Where, you know, what stage do we, do we say, no, that, that's okay? Or is there something else I'm missing that we need to deal with first, perhaps like education? I don't know. What, what, what's, what am I missing here? I think people need to, to learn uh, the historical aspects of Native people. And our histories are very, again, very diverse um, you can't be a little bit racist. You're either racist or you're not. So I, I think, you know, there's a, a staunch line right there. And if it goes back to our children, um, there's been numerous studies done about how this affects our children um, and the limited ways they see themselves. So you're limiting the way that they're seeing themselves as a mascot 
um, thank God that Cleveland changed their name. Yeah. We still have Atlanta. We have Chicago Blackhawks. We have Kansas City. But they're limiting in the way that they're seeing themselves or, or where their future is at. And okay. why can't we stop this? Because it's our children. And would you allow your own child to be mocked like this? No. Yeah. It's you- completely ridiculous. Okay, I completely understand that now. Thank you very much for explaining that. This again, it's it's a continued part of that oppression, and and you just say racism, Tony. I think what I would add to that is it's really just an understanding. So you were asking, well, where are the lines? So like with a TP or things like that, and and I, and I understand that there are some things that are just so entrenched in the culture, the cowboy and Indian movies, that sort of thing that are still, uh, I guess, a part of us um, in in some way. And I think what I would say is 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 understanding. So if you're gonna you know build your TP or whatever else, well, why would why, why that, right? Why would you buy your child a TP? Uh, and, and if it's an understanding, if it's trying to improve understanding of, say, a particular region of indigenous peoples or something to that effect, I don't know. That's different to, well, I just want to let my children play, you know, go after the Indians, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of an understanding of why. And I think that, that perhaps that comes when you're trying to get, uh, I guess, cultural items of, of, of anywhere. It's not to say that you can't do that, but it's just understanding more about what it is that you're buying or how you're going to use it, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's probably closer to where you'll find that boundary. Okay. Thank you so much so far. We're going to play a little... Oh, sorry, Leandra, carry on. I was about to play a song which is Steal the Sun Back and then we'll come back. But go for it, Leandra. I was just going to say really quickly, um, I think it's really about um, exploitation, you know, in terms of, um, you know, uh, how that is being used to uh, further capitalist in, uh, ventures like, you know, art that is um, Native-inspired as opposed to art that is actually made by real Native Americans. When we look at dream catchers, dream catchers are all over the place, even tattooed on people's bodies. Um, these are forms of cultural appropriation that a lot of people don't consider. Um, so there is kind of this um, normalized racism that continues to occur. You know, and a lot of people, when you talk about kind of gaslighting, gaslight us into thinking that they are doing this out of honoring us. And that's where the problem lies. You know, selling sweat lodge ceremonies is spiritual misappropriation of our cultural and ceremonial practices when we couldn't even practice our ceremonial ways until um, sort of, you know, 1970s. You know, mm. those practices were taken away from us. Um, and so that's where, for me, that that line of cultural appropriation um, goes beyond cultural appreciation. So there's appreciation and then there's that appropriation where it becomes very exploitative. Again, going back to kind of um, very extractive. I think, Rhonda, you expressed it very well when you said that uh, you were not allowed to be Indian, whereas other people were taking the the concept of being an Indian and commercialising it or using it for their own gain. Okay, we're going to have a song now. This is another one from, um, from Rhonda. This is called Steal the Sun Back by Savage Family. Shining up. We put our spirit shines against the hate and get. 
gives them strength to listen to the wisdom of traditions that's to live today. It's us forever. Never forget we was free. I'll give my life to the people just to let them believe and let them see the beauty inside. Illuminating light, giving strength to fight and sacrifice until the day we die. It's your voice that guides us, even if you never speak. Your pain explains our sorrow, and it's this that carries me in the struggle together. May we exemplify, stand the present for a future that will rectify our past. Show us past forgotten. Nowadays we don't laugh to walk happiness exchange for the ways of the path of walking that's been taught. So now we blame it on all too busy trying to find escapes. We're afraid of the darkness till the sun back until the light extends its presence. Live and dies our ancestors forever in remembrance. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back until it's shining above. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back until it's shining. Cries, we be complacent at times When placing what really matters With hatred and lies I see the young dying quicker The mind stays sicker The devil designed the lines Through the season That's to get you with that green Getting fixed fixation On getting riches For sensations of living On the reservation Division Divided But shallow minded Them shining The young rising Raised to stay blazing These kids is over fire And the elders They sell them help us So we raising ourselves Caged inside the chaos And we crying for help Dying to help But the wealth They don't care If it ain't them And the nightmares Can't compare to the pain of dying Within, trying to bend corners to find this light on this path. As a matter of fact, they ain't a matter, and no longer I laugh. The old Jesus scared of me, their only option to blast. Man says to be insistent, you must humble up fast. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back until it's shining above. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back. Let's feel the sun back. Let the sun shine at least for half of the day With hearts and minds reminded of our natural state Don't let the spirit die That provides the strength we feel inside And shines on our presence To remember that we're still alive and we'll survive Beyond our physical appearance Lies no longer with us Live invincible in the spirit we embrace forever To prepare for what we'll face together We live confused Revolutions better late than never Break the measure Realize that there's no place for pleasure For yourself it's for the lies And try to make it better We'll take the sun until it's shining above Showing love that we uncover So we fight for that love The strength emerges And it tells us we must pray for courage And patience all our relations So we can face the world Till our struggle gets us out of the dark And shed some light in the shadows That have clouded our heart Let's get the sun back Let's feel the sun back Let's feel the sun back Let's feel the sun back Until it's shining above Let's feel the sun back Let's steal the sun back. Let's steal the sun back until it's shining above. Welcome back to River Radio. You're listening to Wisdom the Costa on Politically Correct. And we've got last one, Tony Perry, Rhonda Lavaldo, Nicholas Hewitt and Leandra Neffin. We're talking about cultural appropriation and some very heavy subjects which relate to people being abused and killed over a period of time. With the, through the colonial sort of history. But so what? Why, what was that going to do today? Well, it's got a lot to do with today because a lot of people have that common experience, whether you're an Irish person coming up with the Catholic system, whether you're somebody who's been in a home, whether you're um, black, whether you're Native American, First Nation, whether you're Aborigine. It's a common experience for many people who are just put down. So please stay listening. So where do we go to from here then, guys? 
what's the answer? How do we move forward? And how does the Western world or any world move forward with people and cultures within their own communities? Because um, let's face it, the world has changed and it's changed forever now. How do we move forward? Tony? I think as a first part, it's just listening and learning from each other. It's something that we all have to work on together. Uh, and so, I, and I think that's been the biggest challenge, certainly that I have seen, um, you know, th uh, through the, through society, especially as we go through uh, the Black Lives Matter movement um, that's come over here as well. People have started to ra to learn a bit more and, and ask more questions, and I think that has got to continue. Uh, but also, when people are saying, "Look, this isn't quite right," and and it's something that affects those peoples regarding their culture, their identity. Listen, uh, and and try to work together uh, in terms of how to go forward. Because frankly, we're all learning. If you think, take this a step back beyond just native peoples, uh, we're all learning. This is a you know, Britain is a multicultural uh, society. The United States is as well. Uh, these both societies are changing. We're learning about a lot about each other and our own roots from wherever we're coming. So it's just recognizing that we all. Have have different perspectives uh, listen to those and when you are trampling upon someone whether you know it or not it, stop and listen and then try to amend what you're am amend what's happening uh, that's the best way forward I think it's just all of us taking this as approach to learn from each other and okay. listen Nicholas yeah it's, it's I think it's, it's really funny because I had this conversation with somebody recently and they're telling me about how they believe that all humans are good inherently and I said to them, I don't believe that's true. I believe that inherently all humans want to be good. But realistically, they're actually not all good. And so, like, being good is something you have to learn to do. And and that comes with, with some caveats. You have to learn to be understanding. You have to learn to be empathetic. You have to learn to be generous. You have to learn to be kind. You have to learn to connect with people that, regardless of what they look like or or, or what they smell like or how or how they feel. And I think if if we really want to if we really want to just develop and we want to you know come into this space of being more I guess enlightened for lack of better wording or be better humans then this is the part of the process we have to teach this this is things that we should be teaching at school this it shouldn't go maths and English and science and all the rest of it no first thing we need to be learning to do is how to be better humans is how to be good is how to be mm. treating each other better and kindly and all of those things come with it. And so the only way that I see us progressing in this in this in particular about being more understanding is just learning to be kinder and just learning to be to be good. Okay. So I mean you raised some great points there, Nicholas. So you're saying education, we have to develop these skill sets to be able to express them. So if we develop this now in education, and I think that Tony, you were saying that we have to listen. So maybe we have to pause and create some specific opportunities and venues to say, come together, just talk. I think it needs to go a bit further than that. I think, it needs, I, think, um, I think it needs to be introduced somewhere, particularly in the UK, into the national curriculum in terms of all these different... At the moment, you, they get children get taught on um, different cultures, Indian cultures, but the, the Native American and the Native Canadian culture is very much um, kind of pushed to America to deal with whereas we don't talk about it as much in schools in the UK. Okay. And I think um, we need to break down the stereotypes because, you know, you and I, um, Wisdom, are of an age when, you know, we used to watch John Wayne movies, but now they're not an appropriate thing to watch. Mm. We need to start to break down those stereotypes. The only way you can do that is through education. The only way you can do that 
effectively through education is to try and get it as part of the national curriculum. Okay, so we've come to three solutions there. First is um, teaching the history better. And the second point that Nicholas has said was, is um, to do with developing the skill sets. Tony, you said we've got to create these meeting points. Leander, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was actually just going to say exactly what um, the other person um, was mentioning in terms of teaching colonial legacy in or colonialism in the curriculum here in the UK. Um, and in fact, I've been involved in a few projects where we've had we've actually started to do that um, through Leeds Trinity University years um, 11 to 13. I think the age group is 16 to 18, where we actually reframed U.S. history in terms of indigenous history and how that ties back to um, Britain's colonial legacy in terms of empire and, and imperialistic pursuits. Right. Because if we do, don't understand the historical context and if we don't understand that um, this has actually happened, how can we move for move forward? So we all need to have this education that occurs, but we also need to have the courage to be able to change um, and not engage in this kind of cognitive dissonance that seems to be happening for some people. Um, you know, when I do a lot of my public speaking, when I first started over here in, in the UK, it was Indigenous 101 history you know so this is where it needs to start is in the curriculum leandra ronda nicholas tony lars that's been a a very intense show and we've hopefully got some real positive ways forward you've all got 30 seconds each tell us how people can contact you and what you want them to remember leandra um, so I'm available on all social media platforms, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. And I guess for me, the one thing, um, again, is is education. Um, I, a lot of what we do is um, activism through education. Um, learn to create the spaces where we can have this mutual respect for each other. Okay. Um, Thank you. That's what I'm saying. Rhonda, what would you say to, to our listeners? Um, you can find me at notinourhonor.com. And I'm on Twitter, Facebook as well, under my name, Rhonda Lovaldo. Uh, I think people need to realize NFL is being Hippocratic, you know, with their whole zero tolerance uh, thing, but they can still make fun of us. They can still make us a mascot or, you know, do the tomahawk chop. People need to call them out. Rugby as well, by the way. Tony. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I can be found also uh, mainly around on Facebook and Twitter under Anthony Perry. Uh, also have a website, anthonyperryauthor.com uh, as well. And I think for me, I think it's just about listening, again, listening with it to each other, uh, listening to perspectives. And when someone is telling you something isn't right and they, and they have the background and they have the expertise and lived experience behind it, listen and work together. Don't don't dig heels further it helps no one okay nicholas um yeah you can find me on most of social media you can't find me on facebook anymore because i got hacked recently um but instagram you can find me under nicholas james orlando or you can find our company on indigenous enterprise as well also on on instagram as well and what message Um, would you leave for our listeners my message it's never too late to reflect on things that you think should change Okay, thank you. Leandra, Rhonda, Nicholas and Tony, thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to to hearing more from you in in future episodes. Thank you. Lars. Hello. That was an intense show, wasn't it? Yes, it it was. Yeah. What did you take away from that discussion? It's, um, it's, for me... um, By the way, you've got 30 seconds. Well, as as (laughs) Chair of Governors um, as well, um, it's the education part of it. We need to start pushing... um, 
to educate children in schools earlier, and not secondary school, I think even middle and primary school, on, 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 on these types of culture. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's the end of the show now. So you've been listening to Politically Correct on River Radio um, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. So that's, I'm going to say goodbye. Wisdom DaCosta, your host, and look forward to talking to you next week. And remember, if you don't, who will? Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. <laughs>